Hi, and welcome back once again to AlderPod, the Alders Gate Cycle podcast. This is episode 23, chapter 21 of the Alders Gate Cycle, Kathra Bav. It had started out easy enough. The trip, though insufferably hot and dry, had been rather uneventful, Kathra having led her son James as well as ten servants, six minor nobles, and four knights safely from the southernmost airship landing across the border and into Soderin safely. They had been greeted twenty miles from the border by one of King Alasar's sons, Alavar. Kathra knew from the beginning that discerning their names from one another would be difficult, and she had studied on the flight as much as she could who escorted them further into Soderin in his, with his own cavalry. Technology was minimal among the Soderin, to say the least, but not, as Cather had initially expected, completely absent. The Soderins still favored horse-powered travel, and yet carried elaborate pocket watches of a make she was not familiar with. It seemed to be both a timepiece and a sextant. Alivar carried one of these, and consulted it frequently as he led them to where the king was now holding court. It was, Cather realized, nowhere near the location she had planned on going. At least Alivar knew where he was going. She hoped. The last diplomatic mission to Soderin occurred some twenty years previously, and had been overseen by Lord Aster Pendershot, a cousin to Malus's mother, Corinne I. The occasion had been more show and less diplomacy, since Pendershot had no official role at court, and had been received by then the then-king Garlisi as a hunting partner from the north. The men had hunted and consumed a great deal of alcohol, and Pendershot returned with a rather elaborate journal and no real progress in regard to the strained tensions between the two countries. Soderin bands still crossed into the territories and still raided villages. In the years since, the Order of the Asp had done a rather impressive job of keeping these events at minimum, but no formal treaty had been reached. So Malus sent Kathra Bav, her high counselor, with a large caravan under a flag of peace. King Alistar's approval to resume the conversation again. Pendershot's journal was now in Cather's possession, which she had used primarily as a handbook for understanding the cultural habits of the Soderan people. They were not, first and foremost, a matrilineal society, as strange as it seemed to Cathra. How else would they be absolutely certain of their lineages? But there it was. Their monarchy, as well, was not ruled by any particular blood claim, but according to Pendershot, simply a matter of brute force. A king lived all his life expecting to be killed, either in battle or by underhand means, and eventually he did. Or he simply died off. In the case of his death, men would fight one another to the death for the title. Cather had also read that Soderan women were not required to marry, nor remain monogamous. In fact, only the highest-ranking men ever married. To lay claim to one woman as his own was considered one of the greatest honors among them. Many women chose to take husbands, frequently more than one, due to their scarcity even here, and breed as they liked. Sons were valued as warriors, girls as future queens. It seemed odd, but according to Pendershot, the Soderin considered all women to be queens, mothers of their future tribe. Aside from the puzzling societal differences, Cather was still trying to sort out their culinary differences— Pendershot took a great amount of pleasure in accounting for the bizarre foodstuffs frequently enjoyed by the Soderin during his visit, 
including and not limited to Blackened Desert Lizard, Scorpion Juice, Spider Mash, and her particular favorite, a thick soup that Pendershot claimed had been made out of a combination of horse blood, cactus juice, and snake eggs. Often, Caper wondered if Pendershot had just elaborated long sections of his journal to keep the court entertained at his adventures. She had never met the man, but she knew from hearsay that he had a propensity to exaggerate his experiences significantly. Kathra pulled her scarf down a bit to get a better look at Alivar, who was riding a black stallion about three strides ahead of her. He was dressed as she had expected, in long crimson robes denoting his status as a king's son, his long black hair braided down his back, falling well past his waist. Feathers, beads, and a variety of metallic objects had been woven into the braid itself, creating a rather elaborate work of art. He wore three gold torques around his wrists, denoting him as the third king's son, no doubt so Alisar could remember him in a pinch, and had a percussion pistol at his hip, as well as a quiver and a longbow. The Soderin had reluctantly accepted firearms, but not quite relinquished their beloved bows and arrows. It was just past midday, and the sun was at its hottest. This far south, the sun baked the earth dry, leaving little more sand and rock. Occasional cacti protruded reluctantly from the landscape, thorny and gnarled, but for the most part, it was all white sand. Much of the sand had found its way into Cather's riding clothes, corset and all, and she could not help but look forward to a bath, or at least something else to wear. "'You ride well, Madam Counselor,' said Alivar, looking over his shoulder and smiling. He was missing a tooth, just to the right of his incisor, but that was the only flaw Cather could sight in his bronzed face. The Soderans were copper-colored, dark hair and black-eyed, nothing like the pale continentals and islanders. His nose was slightly hooked, but it was handsome and hawkish. His wide-set eyes were almost almond, but his brows were dark like smudges of coal above them. Cathra imagined that if she ever found a man to be attractive, he might look like Alivar. "'I was brought up riding,' Cathra said, smiling through her weariness. It had been a long time since she'd ridden on her own and had insisted upon it, but was now beginning to regret it. The last time she'd ridden this long, she'd been twenty years younger. "'Although our tanbers are no match for your horses, I've never seen such a feisty breed. What do you call them?' "'We call them Ekia, the old ones,' replied Alivar. He was well-spoken, though his accent had a slight lilt to it, as if he'd learned the queen's tongue from an islander. We hold that they were the first lords of the land before men walked. He paused to straighten in his saddle slightly, craning his neck as if checking for a sign, but he continued in response all the same. They are not as hardy as your tanbers, and do not live so long, I do not think. But while they live, they shine. Is that the right word, as in fire? Close enough, I do get your meaning, Kythra said. You speak quite well, my lord. I speak only phrases of Soderi, so you'll forgive me if I do not return the favour. Alivar laughed. Of course, Madam Counselor, I would not expect you would know Soderi. Why ever would you have use for it? Oh, I suppose a diplomatic mission here or there might find the skill of use, she said. But I do speak fluent Ardesian, as well as Moorish. So I'm not completely lost cause. James was still out of earshot, conversing with Barry, their cartographer, in a low voice. The wind was picking up, and Cathra was having a difficult time hearing even Alivar. "'That is your son?' asked Alivar, pointing his finger, a crude gesture but somehow accepted among the Soderin, directly at James. "'Yes, he is,' 
said Cathra. She had brought James along mostly to keep him in eyesight, but also to expose him to a different culture. At twenty, he had more friends in bars and inns throughout Hartley than Cathra would have liked. When the opportunity arose for her to invite him along to Soderin, she had expected he would outright reject her. He never seemed to like her ideas. But James had been elated at the prospect of visiting Soderin, and so he had come and attempted to and helped to assemble quite a few other members of the caravan, including Barry. "'Is his father a king?' "'Pardon?' asked Cathra, willing her face still. The question was innocent, but was nonetheless amusing. "'A king's son, you mean?' "'Ah, I forget. There are no kings in Queensland,' said Alivar, shrugging off what looked like a tinge of embarrassment. "'But surely you picked a suitable sire for him?' Cathra turned her face out of the wind to give herself a little more time to answer. It was no simple response. "'I was married to a lord, yes.' said Cathra, clearing her throat. But James's sire, she used the word awkwardly, having only heard it applied to the breeding of horses, was not the same man. Sir James is a bastard, said Alivar merrily. That is a word I know. We have many bastards in Soderin. <laughs> well, in the north, that name is considered somewhat insulting, so I do advise you not to use it in James's presence. He might take offence. Of course, said Alivar. My king father told me that there would be difference between us, not just in the strange way you talk and dress, but in your habits. So I have tried very hard to learn what I can about you. Is it true, for instance, that your women have no backbone? Cathra was taken aback, yet again raised her eyebrows. No backbone. Well, my father said... Well, it's silly, Alivar said, slowing his pace a little so he could ride along evenly with Cathra. His tunic only went down to his mid-thigh, and at such close quarters Cathra was feeling a bit uncomfortable with the view. The wind blew the material hither and thither. No, please, do tell me. And next, I can ask you questions about Soderin. Alivar seemed to like this idea, and he grinned. Well, my father said that women have no backbone, that they have to wear... What is the word? He pursed his lips in thought. He said it is like a saddle for a woman that she wears around her middle, and it keeps her from folding over in half. A corset, a corset, said Cathra, chuckling. We have backbones, I assure you, but the corset simply allows for a more flattering figure. Figure? As in a number? he asked. No, as in a shape. She pulled aside her cloak for a minute, displaying her weather-worn dress. With one hand, she knocked firmly on her side, and... Though the sun was by and large drowned by the wind, she made her point. It shapes us more attractively. This seemed to disturb Alivar, and he turned his head away before nodding. Cathra wondered just how old he was. Judging by his sunny disposition, he couldn't have been old enough to have been hardened. He was built like a man, surely, and she had seen quite nearly enough of him to have guessed he'd come of age. But she put his ears around sixteen or so, still a hand's years less than her own son. They will be arriving shortly, Alivar then said, giving her a tight-lipped grin that gave way little other than his sudden shyness. Do you see that road up ahead? At first, Cathra could see nothing but white sand and swirling winds. She shaded her eyes and gazed ahead, blinking grit from her. There was nothing but dunes and dryness and no wait. She could see it. It started not far, a road, a true road, or so it appeared from this distance could be a trick of the light or of a different kind of sand. The road started as a river once, 
but there has been no rain, and so we call it a road, but we still call it a river too. Riasara, the river road, said Alivar, and it goes to where my kingfather lives. He paused and licked his lips, frowning ever so slightly. Caithreth thought he looked as if he was considering what to say, measuring his words in his head as she often did herself. And I want to tell you to keep looking that way, Alivar said, the quality of his voice falling surprisingly flat. There are two guards at the start of the road, and though they look as though you would expect from this distance, they are in fact dead. Pardon? Kathra asked, feeling her heart leap in her breast as Alivar said the word. He had been distracting her. That's what he was doing, and tired as she was, Kathra had fallen for it. In another time, another place, she would have been more shrewd, but she let herself into a very uncomfortable trap. Alivar sighed and flicked his hand to the side, signaling for more of his riders. They began to take formation behind Kathra. She caught a glimpse of James's face, eyes wide in surprise, and she only had time to nod curtly to him. Best not make it appear apparent she was aware of her predicament. There are those of us who do not believe my king father is right in welcoming you northerners unchallenged into Sodoran, Alivar said, not looking at her but staring straight ahead. He was talking into the wind, and so some of his words were swallowed up. I have waited many years for my father to take matters into his own hands, regarding the taking of our lands. More and more, every decade, until we are given only a scrap of lifeless earth to cling to. The king's son's voice was rising with anger, and he finally turned his eyes to Kathra. The kindness she had seen and trusted had evaporated, replaced now by a burning intensity that she knew too well. Passion and zeal for something he believed in with every fiber of his being. It was a dangerous look, one not to be crossed. I regret that I had to resort to trickery to win you over, and I regret even more that this will make you think ill of me. You are, Madame Counselor, a good woman, I believe, for all your strange northern tendencies, he continued. Kathra noticed that his accent had all but vanished, and he now spoke to her as comfortably as a native speaker. But you cannot understand the difficulties my people have suffered under the hands of your queens. I know you are not the force behind those decisions, but you represent them. For all of us. Kathra had been going over the best words to say in response to this. She did not want to belie the fear that was gnawing at the edges of her mind, threatening to throw her into a panic. No, she had been through more difficult situations. She could ride out this storm. I request that you take me only then, Alava. Kathra said, pulling her muffler off entirely to make certain he would understand her. Conduct the rest of my caravan to safety. There are none among them that would so much turn the queen's eye. But I am her highest-ranking servant, and you understand she will be convinced to action when she finds I am here. We are counting on that, Alivar said, but I am afraid my orders come from someone else, and he has requested that the caravan be delivered in full. What will come of your companions and your son? Will be left to him upon our arrival. So you're working for someone other than your father? Kathra asked as casually as she could. She had done deals in the past. She understood the language of politics, even this far from court. You're happy to see someone else at the throne, even if it isn't you. This is more than a matter of the throne of Soderin, snapped Alivar, his dark eyes flashing, and I would advise you to remain quiet. We have a long journey ahead of us. Alivar was right. Kathra had thought she'd reached the point of utter weariness, but le learned that she'd only but a sip of it earlier. 
the sun sunk below the horizon, and the two moons rose, both nearly full. She remembered that it was almost blooming day in the territories. Surely the common folk would be enjoying themselves. Meanwhile, as much as she wanted to, she could not sleep. Every measure of her body ached and moaned, most noticeably her rear, and as the, thought, as the night darkened, it also cooled. Her bones began to grate against one another, low and dull, but unceasing as she rode. She had saddle sores on top of saddle sores. There was not, to say the least, much of a welcome. Of James and the rest, she heard no word. She had been instructed to ride between Alivar and one of his guards for the duration of the trip. Occasionally, Alivar would offer her water from his water skin, which she only took out of a knowledge that it did not keep herself well taken care of. She would certainly suffer from a worse fate than fatigue. She hoped her companions were doing the same. They continued on and finally began to slow. Alivar gave his guards some orders in Soderi, and the Soderan guards then moved into a different formation, encircling the caravan. Cathera was still at the front, but now with less eyes on her, she chanced to glance back. She could see nothing of James, and quickly looked away, muttering under her breath. If he was smart, he'd find a way out of this, as he always did. She hoped, if he was scheming anything, that she was included in the exit strategy. The wind had died down, so speaking was easier. Your friends will be up to their own tents, under strict watch, but allowed common freedoms, washing, food, and the like. They are not to interact with anyone they see, and it would help if you reiterate that fact to them, Olivar said. He had not spoken to her in at least two turns, and his voice was hoarse from the dryness. I promise you, if any harm comes to them, they will be taken care of, continued Olivar. I swear by the lady. The lady was one of their deities, a somewhat sensationalized version of Rhea, the horse goddess. But the meaning was understood, and Cathra nodded. And I imagine I'll be put somewhere else, she asked. You know the game, observed Alivar. You'll be brought elsewhere. I see, said Cathra, and hoped to leave it at that. She wished she had brought some parchment with her, or at least some scrap paper. But everything of hers was packed and carried by her attendants, and they were lost somewhere in the back of the caravan, doubtless terrified at the situation. If they even understood. Cathra only knew that basic details that she had been told, and imagined that the guards had not spent the time with her companions as Alivar had with her. Once the caravan came to a complete halt, Cathra was lost in the darkness and movement. She was taken off of her horse, quickly searched for weapons. She had a gun, and it was removed. Before she could protest in any manner, she had a blindfold placed over her eyes, how primitive she thought, and was then led about for what felt like a turn, but could have been less. The ground was sandy and uneven, and more than once she tripped and fell, her tired legs no match for the terrain. Each time she was helped back up again. Then there were stairs, not many of them, but still stairs. Permanent stone stairs carved somewhere. They were moving up, upward still. In the complete darkness, she tried to piece together a map of Sodrin by memory. They had been heading in a southwesterly course, and that would put them somewhere near the site of rocky hills known as the Terramond. But she could, she reflected, be completely wrong. She had never much of an interest in cartography, and had left much of the navigation to James and Barry. Now her feet met cobblestones, and from the sounds echoing, they were either in a building or surrounded by buildings. Walls, at very least. There was a hint of light, too at the edges of her blindfold. At last, the blindfold was removed, 
and Cather stood with Alivar and three of his guards in front of a low, rectangular building made of brick and cemented over with white plaster. Bits of the brick were visible here and there, even in the light of the torches. There were no lanterns, but the shape of the building had a certain presence about it. A long, curved red awning ran the length of the front, and beneath that fell curtains of material that were shimmering in the breeze. Smoke rose from the flat chimney, and voices became more clear from inside. This is our fortress, said Alivar, gesturing to the building. There were other structures nearby in various states of repair and construction, but none were imposing as this one. Though why it was imposing other than its relative size in comparison to other Soderan encampments was difficult for Cather to say. Perhaps it was just the feeling of dread growing inside of her, or her lack of sleep, or both. When Cather did not respond, Alivar continued, He will see you for a short time now, so proof of your capture can be made. Then you will be returned to your own tent, where you will be given a eunuch to help with your bath, as well as your clothing, food, and sleep. Even a bath with a eunuch servant sounded better than getting on a horse again, and for that, Cathra was glad. She had no idea what Melis would say once she realized her diplomats had been captured, but she hoped she would move to action swiftly. To say nothing of King Alisar's reaction when they did not arrive. They entered the large building together, Alivar on one side and a guard on the other, with Cathra in the middle. It was bright and open, the wide expanse only broken by the presence of high pillars and black-and-white checkers that went from ceiling to floor. There were people everywhere, some sleeping and some eating, others simply taking, talking to one another in low voices. Most were on pillows, but some resided in wicker chairs or three-legged wooden stools. The floor was elaborate mosaic, as Cather had once seen visiting Ardesia, but the designs were singularly sodoran. Geometric, symmetrical works that were abstract and impossible to read as anything but decoration. The people gathered, lowered their voices when Cathra entered, squinting in the light of the room. Some silenced altogether, plenty pointed fingers. She was acutely aware of the disastrous state she was in, as what women there were in the crowd, at least three she counted, had been arrayed in attire so vivid and beautiful that even Malis would have appeared wan in contrast. Beads of every shape and color made up the majority of the dresses, the patterns as elaborate of those of the, on the mosaic floor. Deliriously, Cathra wondered how much one of the bedazzling outfits must weigh. But Cathra had been distracted, and now she saw where she was being led. The center columns were painted in black and white stripes, and seen as such, Cathra realized they led to what was quite obviously intended to be a throne. The throne itself was primarily crafted of lacquered and veneered wood with candles burning around the feet. But Cathra did not have long to concentrate on the details of the throne, for the sight of the man upon it completely swayed her attention. He was a northerner, dressed as a gentleman, but wearing a red sash across his middle the same hue as warriors of Sodoran. He had a round, somewhat boyish face, but still set with a good number of wrinkles, including a prominent chicken toes about his eyes. He smoked a long clay pipe, common among the Soderan, and looked up over his spectacles as Cathra approached. Pendishot, she said, blinking her eyes. She somehow knew. He frowned. And there you go, ruining my element of surprise. You didn't go and tell her who I was, did you, Alivar? No, my lord. Pendershot shuffled in his seat, and then took a long drag on his pipe. Well, certainly some would ruin the surprise. I suppose it's to be expected. You always were a rather shifty one, Madam Counselor. 
Although when we last met, you were still just Lady Bedderley, weren't you? Wife that dotted the ancient Lord Bedderley. You were such a strange couple. Spite against her late husband was common, considering that man had been universally disliked. I do not recall ever meeting you, said Cathera evenly. I regret in my earlier years the dazzle of court was a bit overwhelming at times. Ah, but of course you don't remember me. I imagine it was a month between your arrival at court and my departure. Regardless, you must have acquired my little journal, he said, a note of expectancy in his voice, which was, Cathera thought, a bit high and wheezy. I have it, yes. Ah, well, I hope it served its purpose. Which was? I won't be let to you in on all my secrets now, would I? That's hardly fair. Cathera felt a shiver run through her, more from her own exhaustion than anything. You have certainly maintained an air of mystery until now, Mr. Pendershot. I wouldn't expect anything different. Pendershot was not amused by the sarcasm and stood up immediately. Who are you to speak to me like that, you northern bitch? The change was astonishing, like a man transformed into a beast. You are my prisoner, and I am your keeper, and I will not tolerate such tones in my court. She did not say anything, but noticed that the sounds of the hall had died down completely. Even the music had stopped. She wondered if some of the people were, in fact, holding their breath as she was. This, this is the reason I left Hartley. It's the insufferable women, thinking they can say anything and do anything simply because they're high-ranking. Here we are a brotherhood of equals, beholden to no one. I guide their hands, and they guide my decisions. It is give and take. Our women are in their natural place, and it works that way. Oh yes, it works. Fizai, come here! Bring them here! Pendershot clapped his hands together twice, and the curtain behind him moved. Fizai, presumably, was a woman, diminutive and dark like the rest of the Soderin, but with a peculiar mark on both of her cheeks, somewhat like a little heart, inverted. Cathra watched as Fizai emerged, her eyes down on the ground, her hands folded before her, and she could not help but let out a sigh of wonder, as Fazai led not one, not two, not even three, but six girls after her, of varying ages. From the similarity between them, they had to be sisters. Beyond that, some had blue eyes. "'These are my daughters,' said Pendershot, nodding as each of the girls knelt before him. The oldest child could have been no more than eleven, having not yet blossomed. She was carrying the youngest.' Every child that Fazai has borne me has been a girl child, each of them primed to marry the choicest of men when the time comes. He laughed. Your face gives you away, my dear. You look like a gazing goose. You are certainly blessed to have so many girl children, said Cathra, her voice breaking as she spoke it, making her sound as if she were about to cry. Pendershot bobbed his head up and down again, puffing fretfully on his pipe. Well, well, of course I am. But let me tell you, Councillor Bav, you have no idea, no inkling of how blessed we are here. My girls are not the only girls in the fort. No, we have a total of thirty girls under the age of twelve, and fifteen ready for marriage as soon as they're first showing. What could she say? She bit down on her lip, watching Fazai and her girls. They had not moved from their kneeling positions since Pendershot had called them to him. I am hoping, after you spend some time among us, you'll come to understand our ways. "'because they are so different and so right.' "'Cathra still said nothing. "'She just stared at Pendershot. "'Get her to her tent,' he said, snapping his fingers. Two women came to him and bowed, "'then spoke lowly to the guard aside Cathra. "'One smiled, ever so slightly, 
Perhaps her cause was not lost, Kate thought drowsily. If there was a smile, maybe there was hope for that at least. Sometime later, bathed and fed, Kathra fell asleep. She did not dream, but fell into blackness, complete and empty as the desert. Alderpod is written, produced, and performed by Tom Barron under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike a couple of post-podcast notes. Um, first and foremost, thanks for people that are waiting over a month for this podcast. Uh, big apologies. I've been traveling a lot. As some of you know from reading my blog, my sister has Hodgkin's lymphoma, so I've been between California and North Carolina and in various places in between um, the last couple of months. So things have been slow on this end, and I have a very active three-year-old who has taken up much of the time in between. So I'm squeezing in a podcast this afternoon because I really wanted to do this. Back to the podcast, back to the story. This is the introduction of Kathra Bav, who we've heard a little bit about. This chapter actually backtracks. Um, it's sort of a, it takes place right before the Blooming Day dance in the territories. So um, we get to actually learn a little bit what happens to Kathra and how she gets... Uh, deceived into thinking she's going to King Alisar's castle. Turns out uh, they're in a feud between, as you learn, Pendershot and Alisar, and some of Alisar's own sons, including Alivar, have uh, actually defected to the other side. We will get to learn a bit more about them later. Um, there are two more chapters about Kethra at the end, before the end of the book, and there will be much more in the second book. Um, I really enjoy Kathra. She's the eldest of my characters with a point of view. And um, she's extremely smart and poised, but probably a little old to be doing these kinds of things. As you probably picked up earlier, she was sent on this mission more as a way for Malus, her ex-lover, to get her out of the castle and to sort of prove that she's uh, got the power where it matters, <laughs> in other words. Um, the... The Sodoran themselves are a very different culture than the Continentals and the Islanders, clearly. Um, so you get glimpses of the way they treat women, the way their cultures work together. There's a bit of exposition on that matter, which I thought was kind of important. Um, you also get glimpses of James Castledeck, who is in fact James Castledeck of the story that is um, on my website on the Aldersgate cycle, Castledeck and the Arabella. This is uh, taking place a little bit before the events that the, the story talks about. So um, kind of a bit of trivia there. Um, other than that, uh, it's just a fun chapter to write. It was good to get into the mind of someone else. There is one more point of view that will be introduced before the end of the book, which is a big surprise. The next chapter is back with Cora and Emery and uh, Ez and Jem and the bunch as they are leaving this, the knittings. So uh, I actually had part of that recorded and then decided to go back into this one. Um, thanks again for your patience in this. Um, definitely appreciate it. Hope to get another one out to you soon. Once again, I apologize for the <laughs> big, big wait.
But um, so hopefully we're at, at, uh, approaching the end of the book, the last 10 chapters, and um, lots of fun stuff in store. So that's it.